Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. Um, we're going through the book of First Peter, and as we're doing so, we normally would be going directly, but I'm actually going to skip a week and trade next week's with this week. And this week, we're going to be looking in First Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. But before I do, I, I want to say this. Last week, we kind of talked about the idea of uh, loving Jesus through the difficult circumstances of life. And I, I want you to know how much we love you guys. And when I try to preach, I try to preach in a way that, that, you, that is truthful and, and applicable and, and that you, you get that following Jesus is worth everything. And when we do that, we have to realize that sometimes life is hard and sometimes life is a struggle. Maybe you had a great week. Maybe you have no earthly idea um, that what anybody else is thinking or, or feeling. And I, I just had kind of a difficult week. And I find it funny um, or ironic or God's providence, probably more God's providence, that when I preach something, I get to practice it. So last week I talked about loving God through difficult circumstances and how good he is. And, and I got to practice it. Well, I got good news for you. Today's topic is something you're going to want to practice. And so we're going to look at that. One of these days I'm going to talk about how to handle coming into a, a huge amount of money when you're not expecting it. So... <laughs> It's good to laugh. This week, we're going to start by reading in 1 Peter 3, 8 through, 10, 8 through 9. We're going to read 10 through 12 here in a little bit. Finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter started with this idea of the inheritance. The idea of the inheritance that we are to all receive, that as sons and daughters of the king, so often we get distracted and we think the inheritance is what is to come in the future. But the inheritance as a son or a daughter means that you get to have it now. You may not realize this, but if you're a little kid and your parents are providing food on your table, you are eating your inheritance even now. Right? And that the purpose of the inheritance, back in the Old Testament, the purpose of the inheritance still for us is to carry out the will of the Father. In other words, the, the fact that we receive our inheritance means that we're going to carry out the job. And as followers that make followers of Jesus, this is what we are called to do. We are called to continue making followers that make followers of Jesus. And this is huge and, and super important as we do that. And the result of that is that we receive a blessing. So I told you we've been talking through this last month. It's really been, Peter's been addressing our attitude. And I, there's two parts of this message. He, he talks about the attitude we should have as we understand the inheritance. And then I want you to see later on in the passage, he's going to talk about the um, action steps we have in order to maintain the attitude that we're supposed to have. But the first thing he says there is, I want you to be like-minded. Be like-minded is not saying the same thing or being little drones going, I am a follower of Jesus, right? You know, or, or acting exactly the same or having even the same opinions. That's not what it's talking about there. What he's talking about there is this idea of being, having the same sentiment or being in the same attitude. I recently heard a sermon by Matt Chandler that quotes uh, C.S. Lewis, I believe, and here's what it says. It says, we need to understand 
that the fact that Jesus came and died is infinitely important or not important at all. Did you get that? That the message Jesus has for our lives either has to mean everything or we are wasting our time. And, and that's what I want you guys to see. It is worth everything. Why? Because the storms of life are going to come. Because there will be difficult struggles. Because there will be good days. And in the good days, we rejoice and we give God the glory. And in the bad days, we lean into him. Because God is everything to us who follow him. Here's the problem. Many of us act like Jesus isn't infinitely important. We, we act like he's somewhat important. And when we do so, we water down the gospel so much that it's hard to even come to the place we understand what it's really supposed to be. In a sense, it nullifies the effect. So right from the beginning, I want you to see that Peter is addressing us and saying that as followers that make followers of Jesus, that's our vision, that's our statement, uh, mission statement, that I want you to really let that sink in, that Jesus is worth everything. And the inheritance that you have received is the right relationship with him. And that right relationship isn't for the future. It isn't just for heaven. Although heaven is real and hell is real, it is the fact that God wants to live with us here and now. And do you have that attitude? And the one way that we develop that attitude is we become uh, sympathetic and compassionate. Sympathetic and compassionate, very similar words. Sympathy is the idea of, I understand how you feel. Putting yourself in another person's shoes. That's somewhat empathy, I understand. But for the sake of what I'm saying, let's, let's go with that, okay? It's, it's, it's I'm, I'm going to have sympathy for your plight, and empathy comes along with it, Okay. But I understand that that's what I really want is I want to understand that in your struggles, I'm going to love you. In your brokenness, I'm going to care for you. And compassion is when you come alongside that and you say, even though you're struggling in a way that I don't completely understand, I'm going to show you the grace and the love of Jesus. I'm going to come alongside you, and I'm going to care for you, and I'm going to walk beside you, and I'm going to show you the love that God has shown me. And these are hugely important because what we're saying at that point is we understand that it's not all about us, which leads him to say humble, humility, compassion, and humble. Humility is placing others before yourself. And I want you to hear something very, very important. You, son or daughter, are highly valued. You are loved and treasured. And God wants to reach down into your world and help you feel the power of what God is saying. God wants you to know that no matter your circumstance or your life, that you are loved and cared for it and that you have meaning and purpose. And, and we talk about that all the time. How can we not? After all, we have been adopted by the King. If you have a relationship with Jesus, as you're a follower of Jesus, if you come to the place where you realize, I can't do this, and you say, God, I want you into my life, and I accept you into my life, then what you're doing is you're saying, I am now in your family and as a part of God's family, you can have inherent value and inherent worth. But that's amazing, right? But here's what happens sometimes. We start going, I'm pretty awesome. I mean, do you know who my dad is? 
when I was uh, very little. My dad was the minister of music, which means he was the worship pastor at the church. And he had a number of jobs. And I remember, I don't remember this part of the story. I remember the lady. I was way too young. I was probably like four years old, but my mom loves to tell the story. So when I was like four years old, there was a nursery worker named Mrs. Jaton. Mrs. Jaton was like the sweetest lady in the world. Loved her. And we would play hot lava in the nursery and, you know, where you're jumping from chair to chair. And she probably let us get away with things we shouldn't do. But occasionally, just occasionally, she would say, guys, I'm sorry, you can't do that. Well, somewhere along the line, about age four, I started realizing who my dad was. And so I walked up to her one day and I said, she, after she had said, no, you're not going to do that. I said, oh, you're going to let us do this because my dad is your boss. And if you don't, you're going to get fired. <laughs> That was classic. That was a delayed reaction. I love it. <laughs> there was a delayed reaction that day as my dad fired at me um, some warning shots, not across the bow or the brow, but another end. <laughs> because I got too big for my britches and my dad needed to humble me. And I think sometimes we misunderstand what we really are as sons and daughters of the king. Yeah, you're special and you're loved, but humility recognizes that so is the person sitting next to you. So is the person down the street. So is the person who is the outcast. And the humility is when we really find the treasure of humanity and the fact that God loves us for who we are. And the way we know we practice that is Love. Love is the idea of unconditional acceptance. Finally, being like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, being compassionate and humble. Love is the action there, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. Love says that no matter what you've done, I'm going to love. And that's so hard because this world disappoints us all the time. Testify, right? This world throws us uh, darts, and we can sit there and feel like, oh, I'm Keanu Reeves, you know, like I'm trying to dart in the Matrix reference, for those of you who don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to wish the world would slow down so I'm not wounded by all these bullets coming my way, and they hurt, and, and we find ourselves in agony. We find ourselves going, but they've done evil to me, or this person has said this, or this person's done that, or why can't the church be this, or why can't I find the safe place? Why can't I find, and God, through all of this, is sitting they're going, you are the same way. And I'm the same way. And so we need Jesus. And when we practice love, having the same attitude of a like-minded that we are about recognizing we are a fallen, broken people in need of a loving and good and gracious God. That's when the good news, otherwise known as the gospel, the gospel means good news, the good news of Jesus changes us. So Peter, recognizing that this is not always easy, shifts from the place of having the right attitude to action steps to help us have the right attitude, right? And you'll find that cyclical. When you have the right attitude, it will lead you to the right actions. But if you have the right actions, it will lead you to the right attitude. But if you start going the wrong direction, that also feeds itself. It's a cycle. 
So what is the right attitude? And in doing so, Peter quotes from Psalms 34, 12 through 16. He would have quoted it, not trying to be plagiarist. He would have quoted it knowing they would have recognized it. He also quoted it in a very way that Peter would, not being the most educated man. He uh, didn't quote it exactly the same. So I want to read you Psalms 34, 12 through 16 that says this. Who is someone who desires life? Loving a long life to enjoy what is good. Who doesn't want that, right? I, does anybody want a good life? Right? I don't, I, I don't, I want all these bad things to stop or the, I want to just have a season of good. I want to just feel like, here's how you do that. You keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good and seek peace and pursue it. And the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil to remove all memory from them from the earth. In other words, the eyes of the Lord will be with those who are righteous. Righteous means having a right relationship with God, not necessarily every action, not necessarily being perfect, but being righteous in the eyes of God. How do we do that except recognizing how infinitely he important he is and striving in every fabric of our being, every part of our DNA, every last molecule of our body, every single breath that we breathe, Every single second that we're alive, chase after the good and wonderful character and the nature of God. When we do that, it says, the eyes of the Lord are open and the ears will hear your cry. And you'll find the good life. Notice, it doesn't say the circumstances change. It doesn't say all the problems go away. It doesn't mean the bullets stop flying. What it says is you will have a good life. Why? Because... God is good. So Peter quotes this, giving us some action steps in 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12. It says this, For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. So here's the question. Do you want to have a good life? Are you doing what the Lord says? Are you right with him? Now here's where it becomes problematic, because when we come up with actions, we, we typically want step A, B, C, D. Check, done, did it. And so what we're... We, we do is we don't understand really what this is talking about. So let's walk through this, and I'm going to give you some action steps, but I want you to understand the deeper meaning behind it. And the first thing it says is, if you want to have a good life, keep your tongue from evil. Isn't that a funny place to start? Keep your tongue from evil. Now, you may not realize this. Someone told me this in the last service. I actually thought it was, but I, I verified, and I had a lot of head nods, so I'm going to go with the head nods. Your tongue is a muscle, Right? And a lot of times what we think is we can train our muscle to do what we want it to do. Any athletes in the room, right? Yeah. Okay. You train your muscles to do what you want. I know you're sitting there thinking, you're an athlete, Daniel. Clearly you are. And I was like, you're right. <clears throat> <laughs> Don't like to brag. I can run like a 10-minute mile. I mean, I'm in really good shape. Um, that's not good, people, so that's okay. But the idea of keeping your tongue your muscle controlled is this. 
what comes out of your tongue is inevitably what's in your heart. What comes out of your tongue, my wife has this verse and she's posted it up at our house, is really who you are. So the tongue is so important because it shows the character of what's underneath. Not who and what you say at, at church, right? Have you ever heard this one? Don't cuss at church. God's nowhere else. He's only in the building, right? Don't say that to the preacher. I'm Daniel, y'all. You can just call me Daniel. It's not what you do in the best of circumstances that defines what's in your heart. It's what you do in the worst. It's what you say to your best friend. Is it gossip? It's what you do when there's jealousy. It's what you do when there's a difficult road. It's what, it's what you say to your spouse that no one else knows. It's what your kids know comes out of your mouth because you can fake and discipline your tongue because it's a muscle and train it in certain ways, but eventually who you are will come out of your lips. It just will. What comes out of your lips is what is in your heart. It's about this idea of relationship. And so what he's saying there is in order to have your heart chased after the things that it should chase, then you can't just keep your tongue from evil. You have to turn away from evil. <laughs> Why? Because as you turn away from evil, that's when you find that your heart begins to change. And so the idea of repentance is how you turn away from evil. You can't just sit there and go, okay, I'm going to go this way because it looks fun. Woo! How did I end up in the dark? You have to at some point go, this path leads to destruction, and I'm not going to do that. And so you get alone with God in your brokenness, and you don't blame other people. That's the Christian way right now is, I didn't do it. The devil made me do it. No, you did it. I didn't do it, or they maybe do it, or we sometimes justify, well, my sin is not as bad as their sin. Your sin is bad. God wants you to repent from your sin because it's destroying you. You're not going to worry about everyone else's sin unless God tells you to go confront them. But you better be make sure your sin's correct or at least headed in the right direction or that your relationship with God is good before you start judging and pointing your finger. Why? Because you got a pretty big problem in your life you need to address. If you've been around here long enough, one of the things I love to say is you can't just stop doing the bad things. You have to replace them with good. That's why he says, seek good. So if you've been around here a while, you've heard me say this, but you can't just stop lying. You have to tell the, we can do that. You can't just stop lying. You have to tell the, let's do it one more time. You can't just stop lying. You have to tell the, thank you. Participation points today. You all get them. You can't just stop gossiping. You have to replace it with encouragement. You can't just stop whatever. You have to find the opposite good and chase after that. Now, here's where we mess up. Is we want the steps so much, so we find the verses and say, let's say we're lying. And so what we do is we write the memory verse on our mirror in the morning. and We stare at it and we go, you're a son of the king, Daniel, right? 
And if I can read my writing in the mirror, that's a really good day. But as you stare at the mirror and you're reading that, you go, okay, I'm going to memorize this and I'm going to do this. But we miss out on the point of what we're really doing when we chase after good because the list of what is good seems endless, right? But we try. And then we find ourselves falling and failing again because we don't understand that what is good is God. And what I mean by that is when in the Old Testament, God sent Pharaoh, uh, Moses to confront Pharaoh. And Moses said, I'll go, God, but who do you say that I am? He says to tell him, I am sent me. And at first glance, you're going, that's great. What does I am mean? Except that it means I am means I am everything that is good. Did you get it? I'm about to get excited because this is exciting stuff. What is good is not just the truth. It's that God is truth. What is good isn't being kind, although that is good, but it's the fact that God is kind, that God is loving, that God is joy, that God is anything and everything that is good is God. And you won't be able to find and live and do the dutiful actions enough to attain enough perfection to find that you are pleased in a right relationship with God. Because we all fall, we all fail, and we all fall short of the glory of God. So in this passage, when it's saying you have to turn from evil and seek good, what he's really saying is you can't do this on your own. You have to come and fall in the presence of God and seek him in his goodness and his love. And as you fall in the presence of God and you find yourself there, he lifts us up as we repent and, and are humbly coming before us. He shows us how infinitely wonderful and powerful he is. And it's not a, a list anymore to us. It's no longer a burden to have to act right and walk up straight. And it's all of a sudden I go, oh, this is who God is and I want to be more like him. And that's so free and so wonderful rather than having a checklist of here's how I become a good Christian. The, the, the only checklist is to seek the character and the nature of God. This is called holiness. The pursuit, being set apart, being in the presence means being and taking on the likeness and the characteristic of God himself. We couldn't do that except we've been adopted into his family as sons and daughters of the king. We we aren't lost in this world anymore. We bear his name. And as we bear his name, we look and we model ourselves after our father and his goodness and his character. As we grow up in him, as we chase after him, we say, I want to be more like you. And when we fall down, our father lovingly disciplines us. And when we pick ourselves back up again, we keep looking at him. We stay in his presence. We become more and more like who he wants us to be. And that that's where we find our peace, not in a list of rules, but in the presence of our Father who is our King and Lord and is everything that is good. And no pastor can do that for you. In fact, I will fail you eventually. Hopefully not. But I'm human. But God never will. And the way that we know we understand this, that we've been in the presence of the holiness of God, 
is peace. Because right relationship, righteousness requires peace. Peace is not a moment of truce. Peace there means there is no more animosity. There is no more tarnish. There is no more payment to be made. It is right. And so when he says, let him seek peace and pursue it, it's not justice there, it's the right relationship. But here's the other thing. Jesus opens up the Bible with saying, blessed are the peacemakers, right? He opens up the Bible. He opens up the Beatitudes, his sermons. And as doing so, he asks us to be a peacemaker because it means we've understood peace. But I think a lot of times we get peacekeeper and peacemaker mixed up, and I think a lot of times we try to be peacekeepers. Let me explain that to you, the difference. A peacekeeper is a person who avoids conflict at all costs. A peacemaker seeks resolution at all costs. One appears holy. Peacekeeper can have the appearance of holiness. Why? Because, oh, I'm turning the other cheek. Oh, I'm not doing this. I don't want to raise a rocket. And a lot of churches buy into this, and then they don't show their mess. They don't tell their messy. They just act like we're just keeping the peace and the unity of the Lord. But the unity of the Lord requires peacemakers, not peacekeepers. And sometimes you get to see our mess, and we fight through it, and we resolve that God is good, and we seek the right relationship. A peacekeeper is focused on an action, but a peacemaker, peacemaker is focused on the relationship with God. So as we wrap this up today, and as we go out into the world, I hope that you fall madly in love with the relationship that God wants you to have. If you don't have a relationship with him, I want you to realize he died on the cross for you, for you and for me. He was buried and carried our sin and our transgressions on himself and and so that you can have a right relationship, you can be restored, you can, have, you can be adopted into the kingdom as the heavenly father. And if that makes no sense to you, please come talk to us. We want to explain it to you in whatever way you hear it best. But God wants you to know him. And as you do that, you'll seek the peace. And as you seek the peace, you'll find the right relationship. So here's our Monday morning application. Don't be a peacekeeper, be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker with God. Make sure that you are getting alone with God and making sure your relationship right. Even through the difficult of confession, even through the difficult moments of having to go, God, I've failed you. Be a peacemaker and sit. And as he lifts you up, be a peacemaker to others, with others. Working through the conflict. If there's somebody you need to talk to, if there's a brother or sister who's wronged you, be careful. Don't go to someone and go, hey, you made me stumble. And they're like, I didn't know I did anything, right? That doesn't help. But rather, when you know someone is at dis, disunity with you, go to that person and get it right. And be a peacemaker with yourself. Because ultimately, the way that we find joy in everything, the way that we have hope in hopelessness, the way we have peace in the middle of a storm, is we've done the due diligence to get alone before God. And to rest there. So that's why when Jesus was gathered with his disciples in the upper room, 
he knew that they would struggle. He knew that there'd be times he'd have to go, repent, you messed up. And so he said, when you gather, I want you to take the bread, which we're symbolizing with this little cracker. We're about to practice something called common unity, communion, or the Lord's Supper. And it's simply a chance for you to get alone with God and remind yourself of Jesus' sacrifice, that he gave everything. He's infinitely important to come to a right relationship with him. So when we take this, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to remind yourself that his body was broken for you and that his blood was poured out for you. And in this moment, I'm just going to give everybody about a minute, a whole minute of silence, maybe the most blessed thing you have all day. And in that minute, I want you to come before God and make sure your relationship is right with him. Don't worry about other people. You ask God, what do I need to confess? And in doing so, we're going to come back and we'll take this. I'll pray in a minute and the deacons will come forward during the prayer and we'll pass this around and we'll, we'll take it together. So wait for my signal. But we're going to do that to remind that all of us have common unity and that we are all broken and that Jesus came and died for us. And what we really need is him. So let's find him. Your minute starts now. Deacons, would you come forward, please? Father, I thank you for this time. As we come into your presence, God, move in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Draw us into your presence. Transform us. God, for just a moment, may we put aside the distractions and be changed by the power of what you did on the cross 2,000 years ago. We come before you now, giving you the best of us, declaring that you are good. Bless us now. And we pray. Amen. As you take a cup out, just hold on it. We'll take it together in a few minutes. Yes. 
one thing that strikes me if you're sitting here going I don't deserve the love of God me too and I think about when Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples a bunch of ragtag rough group of guys see Jesus didn't come down and find the best people he found the disciples (laughs) and even after he reminded them of this He said, you're going to sin. You're going to sometimes not do what is right. When you do, pick yourself up. And take this as a reminder of my body that was broken for you. And then he picked up the cup and he said, you know, as you come before me and ask for repentance through tears, I want you to remember as the tears stream down your face or as... Your heart cries out as you're broken before me. I want you to be reminded my blood was shed for you. So take this in remembrance of me. And then after they partook of the Lord's Supper, the Bible says that they sang a song declaring how good God was. And then they went out and said, now we're going to live it. When they fell, they came back and they took this again as a symbolic reminder Jesus is infinitely important so today as we stand and sing let's rejoice and tell God how good he really is